get comfortable being uncomfortable. You will achieve and realize how much more you're capable of if you put yourself in an awkward situation. Test yourself, challenge yourself. The more you're uncomfortable, the more you're growing, the more you realize more your potential. What it do, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. My name is Nikki Chin, and you have stumbled into another episode of The Process. For those of y'all just tuning in, (laughs) the purpose of these conversations and this dialogue is to explore ideas, stories, memories, uh, things that have helped me uh, become who I am. And ideally, I pull out the the nuggets or the stories that help me become the best version of myself. I share this with y'all in the hopes that this affects at least one person out there that might be going through something similar. Uh, insofar as I've realized that at the end of the day, it is the people around you and those that you connect with that make this life meaningful. All that to say, um, I'm excited for this episode. I have, uh, I've had this one on my radar for quite some time as it's an experience and a story that has been truly formative in how I view the world. I'm uh, eternally grateful for those that were involved and provided me with the opportunity, as well as those that went through went through it with me and were patient with me in going through it. So uh, it's it's shaped and molded how I, I view myself. It's given me confidence. It has helped me understand my value and my worth. What makes me feel uh, productive. It's an experience that I, I wouldn't trade for my left arm, and and that experience is the first. We'll say job that I took on that was a little bit more serious and I I took it a little bit more uh, than just a stepping stone. I really bought into what it was. Still do, not past tense. I I really do still believe in the uh, company as well as the organization and all of what I learned. Now that experience comes from a startup that I was an early person joining in. I was one of the first sales reps other than the sales leader coming in and uh, there really wasn't much when I joined, and by the time I left three years later, I'm I'm proud of what we accomplished. I really am. I, I want to reflect back on the experience kind of from start to finish as best as I can remember. So I took down some notes, if you will, and I picked out some themes that I found that kind of consistently popped up throughout the journey. Uh, and, and it's something that I'm pulling out uh, in the hopes that I'll kind of continue with this moving forth in opportunities that come up beyond this past experience. Uh, Again, as well, to to reflect back on, I think, trying to understand the Kool-Aid and the sauce as to why it was such a successful experience in it all. So a couple of themes that I found in trying to recollect and see this story from start to finish. The first one being, what is the benefit and value of repetition? I mean, you'll see, and, and, and for those of you that are in the sales game, you know that uh, you have to put in reps, or if you're a competitive athlete or in some semblance of a sport, you have to put in reps. There's ample benefit to putting in reps and almost paying the du- paying your dues and putting in numbers to get what you want. So what's the benefit and value of reps? What does that look like throughout this journey? How do systems work? And I think one of the more one of the most important pieces of a system is the people. It wasn't glaringly obvious for me as to how or why systems were so important and they're sort of how and why people were so important to systems, especially when we live in an age of everything is 
is is automating and everything is going towards like some sort of AI system. And uh, we can say that humans are becoming less and less needed, if you will. Bullshit. I think that the people at the end of the day are inherent to uh, the systems that we create in business, in all avenues and aspects of life. I, I more believe in like the cyborg reality as opposed to AIs taking over our, our world. I think we'll mold with them in some way, shape or form. Uh, and last but certainly not least, I mean, I'm, I've, I've definitely spoken about it here before at some point, but get comfortably, get comfortable being uncomfortable. It's a theme that I felt before this experience, but it really started to resonate and sink in deep to my core when I started going through this. So for for context, I guess, I had to take a step back. Up until this point in my life, uh, in joining this startup, what I had done, I had gone to a pre-medicine, through a pre-medicine undergraduate degree, realized I was not competent enough, nor maybe I had the drive to become a physician and a doctor, pivoted, uh, did a master's in international business, tried to figure out how I could mold the two after doing that post or that graduate degree and taking on a bunch of different internships in big pharma companies. Uh, and then my first year of work being a, a photocopy rep downtown Toronto. So up until this time, kind of all over the place, but this one really excited me. A, pay was better. I was no longer <laughs> selling to, to, to live, but B, it was also in a domain and discipline that I was like, holy shit, this is way too close to what I've done to be real. Again, I studied neuroscience and mental health uh, in my undergraduate degree, thought I was going to be a neurosurgeon, uh, and ended up working in a, a health tech startup that was focused on neuroscience. And I was the first sales rep. Again, uh, if you want to think that serendipity is a thing, I think this is good and hold proof for it in that how in the hell was I in the right place at the right time to stumble across this opportunity? As a matter of fact, I believe it was actually in my territory or just outside of my territory, maybe one building over of where I was constantly cold calling and elevator writing uh, that this company existed. And uh, I joined in. I joined in and I figured and also in trying to even recollect or understand this story, I figured I would break it out into th three different locations, the three different places I worked at while working here because uh, a little bit formative and a little bit a good reflection of like where I was at in terms of my growth and development at this company. Now, first thing I wanted to speak to value and benefit of reps. I've been door knocking photocopier sales for a year at this point, And I jump into a company that is in tech sales. Do I even know what SaaS is or as maybe some of my previous leaders would call it SAS sales? No, um, but I would say I was an open sponge and I was just keen. I was eager and I was just trying to make a good impression. I was, I was ready to work. I was ready to work ultimately. So joining into this tech sales org, I didn't really know what to expect or what to do. I was just trying to be a jack of all trades, master, like just add value and say, yes, I'll help out wherever I could. And for context, I came on as an account executive with the director of sales taking on, taking me on as his first sales hire. And did we know what the hell was going on at the time? No, but we had a system in place. Fortunately, I came in when the team had maybe put in three, four months work of 
truly trying to find product market fit, talking to any and everybody trying to sell this health tech software. And boy, did we try a bunch of different angles, but we stumbled in, we stumbled into a, a really strong market, something that turned out to be very promising for us. And I came on effectively because the director sales was slammed. I mean, I remember, holy shit, I remember when he was trying to get me to join. We were speaking about the opportunity. He asked me what I think. So, do you want to meet up for a drink before you uh, make a decision on the offer? And I'm pretty sure I went to the Walrus Pub. It's just, it's just on Bay and King. And it's this cool little bar. <laughs> and I don't know. I... When I saw my old old boss, I think we maybe met up at what, 7 p.m. And I was waiting around. I just left Xerox, the photocopier place I was telling you about. And he looked disheveled. <laughs> I hope you hear this. I hope you hear this, Jaime. He looked disheveled. He looked rough. Uh, <laughs> we sat down for uh, we sat down for some drinks, talking to him. I'm maybe getting some liquid confidence, trying to understand the opportunity. He's trying to uh, maybe sell me more on the job. I remember my old my old boss actually even walked by us uh, as we were chatting. He's like, "Who's that?" I was like, "Oh, that's an old high school friend." Just trying to play it off. Uh, it's not the old company that I was leaving to go to this new company. But I shared that uh, Mr. Jaime was looking disheveled primarily because he was busy and, and we were finding and stumbling into something. So I came on almost as relief. We had so many people that we were speaking to or at least scheduled to speak to that we needed somebody else to help put in some reps. And I didn't even realize at the time, but this would be the first place where I really put in reps. Looking back on my numbers, uh, as I was leaving the organization, what, three years later after working at the startup, I maybe conducted just over a thousand discovery calls, which are like 30 minute to one hour calls with strangers, candidly, people that you don't know. And uh, maybe they'll turn into a customer. Maybe they won't. I think 33% of the time or 30% of the time they will. No, I'm pulling out numbers out of my ass. I don't know if that's true. Check me, baby. <laughs> Anyways, I came on as demo relief. Again, too many people, not enough of us. So let's try and expand the capacity of the team. And I put in reps as an example in conducting these discovery calls. And the system that was built at the time, which was I'll tell you, I'll tell you my candid experience or first impression of it. It's effectively an email drip campaign. Book a meeting, book a meeting, book a meeting. Seven emails, probably more like 12 emails in the span of a month to a certain prospect that we think could be a customer. And we'll try and schedule some time with them. And I remember looking through this email campaign and we used to track everything. And I was like, oh, man, this is aggressive. And this is me coming from the world of Xerox where everything is door to door in-person sales. I had never even thought nor conceptualized how businesses could make money just from beyond the World Wide Web. How does that happen? And I remember seeing the emails where like we would send an email day one. Maybe somebody doesn't respond because who checks their email? And day two, we bump and send them another email. Maybe day three, we let them simmer. Day four, we send them another email and we pepper them. We pepper them to get attention. And I share this because I... It took me a while to really come to terms with it and understand. I was like, man, this seems really aggressive, really assertive. It seems uh, maybe unempathetic. And I have my thoughts and opinions on how you can craft an email. But the premise of thinking that you can put yourself out there once and expect to get the response you're looking for is ludicrous. 
if you're if you're in the data game, if you're in the sales game, if you're trying to work on yourself, if you're trying to take on any endeavor, nine times out of ten, you're gonna have to pick it up three more times after a failure, four more times after a failure, five more times after a failure. You're gonna have to keep trying until you get a desired outcome. And in the game of sales, you want a response. You want to start a conversation. I'd rather I'd rather a no or a yes or a no and here's why than silence. So it challenged me and it showed me that hey, you can be persistent and keen and respectful of somebody's time so long as the touch points and the connections you're making are, are adding value. And now I've taken that application, if you will, and I use that every day in my day-to-day and in my current job and role where emails work, cold calls work, videos work, contacting people on numerous occasions in the span of one month works. And it used to flabbergast me where Again, we're trying to book emails or book meetings and like eight, nine steps into the the drip campaign. People are still booking and I'm like, dude, the message is very similar to the first first seven times. What's changed? And and I, I share that there are some success because just as much there were some people that were booking in eight, nine, ten. There were uh, five times as many people telling me, no, I'm not interested. Unsubscribe. Leave me alone. All of the, the the popular sales sales bro memes that are out there now. For every no, for every yes, there's a million no's behind them. So we put in reps. We put in reps in terms of sequencing people, getting people into these drip campaigns. For every reply that we'd get as an example, I'd log back into a software and update one field. I would I would do all these different like very robotic, mind-numbing tasks over and over and over again, because the system we had in place, while yes, it was a fantastic system that we'll say four or five people built and we're working all these different pieces of softwares and tools, at the end of the day, it was still people that were operating and working this system. And and it's only through me, say, running a specific task a thousand times where we could sit back and be like, well, shit. How much time is Nick really wasting doing this very monotonous, mind-numbing task? Is his time worth doing that or can we potentially automate it? And I share that maybe to, to comment on people drive systems, not the other way around. I would say a very similar thing works for all the frameworks we did in, in sales. We have all these different frameworks, these different systems, but at the end of the day, it'll come down to the human and the person behind it that's going to help understand and help actually move the needle or move the machine. So yeah, it was cool. It was cool just to see from lead generation, what we call it, or like finding somebody that's potentially interested all the way to an end customer, how that system works and seeing that in business for the first time. Because again, up until then, I would just been like a cog in the wheel in large systems. So in working at a startup, it was cool to see the entire value chain of sales and to see how and where and why somebody would influence parts of the system and how and where and why we would put in ample reps in that system. And in, in all of those, I mean, I, I share that as that was the first part of the, these three themes that I was talking about. And the last one, of course, get, get comfortable being uncomfortable. All of this is new to me, but again, being the new guy, being the youngest in the room, having a chip on my shoulder because I, I had hardcore, still do have hardcore imposter syndrome. I, I just kind of kept my nose down and kept working at it. And slowly but surely, I, I definitely learned and developed. And 
grew into who I am today. And I'll, I'll end this part of the, this first location with the two thoughts that I often shared with my old sales director, where we'd be sitting down late night after a long day of calls or whatever it was. And I turned to him and was like, dude, doesn't it feel like it's just fucking 10 monkeys in the room trying to solve one Rubik's cube? You don't know what's going on, nor do I, nor does that guy, nor does that guy, nor does that guy. But like somehow we're all coming together and it's starting to click. What? And he just turned back to me and maybe just laughed and chuckled. And we'd have a drink or a smoke every once in a while to celebrate. And he's just like, dude, what do you think all these fucking massive companies are? Nobody knows what's going on. But like you build systems, you put in reps and in due time, like shit starts to happen. It starts to work so long as you're being mindful and intentful about uh, the decisions you make. And, man, I hate to give him this fucking credit, but I, I, I attribute a lot of my success to the man. And one thing he also taught me, and I want to say it was even close to the same day in my memory of, of the Rubik's Cube story, we were looking to grow the team as well, because, of course, his calendar became full, my calendar became full, we're starting to hit capacity and really realize our potential. Well, well shit, we need to hire, because there's more work to be done and not enough time. Let's try and scale the team. And one of the things I used to do with this organization, just because I was familiar with what was, I'll tell you candidly, I was doing a part BDR, part AE work. We're looking for more BDRs now, which are like the first touch point in a sales cycle. Somebody that would sell the meeting, not the product that's responsible for pipeline. The first uh, call you might have at an organization the first call you might have as a buyer with an organization might be with a BDR. And my job was to screen candidates, get a sense of who they are, what they're interested in. Ultimately, again, I had no fucking clue what I was doing. I don't know why I was in those calls, but I don't know if you can tell, I don't shut up and I like talking to people and I like hearing their stories. And ultimately I looked at those interviews as just like an extension of university where I do some mentorship and I try to get a sense of like, well, why do you want to do this job? Like what's in it for you? I'll tell you my story. And Interestingly enough, a lot of my interview skills and how I hire and look for talent now actually stems way back. That's crazy. Stems way back to those early days when I was putting in reps with uh, those initial screening calls. So I say all that because I was doing a screening call with Mr. Money Green, actually, is what I called him, because I was doing the screening call and Jamie was actually listening in because every once in a while he'd tune in and say, Hey, let me listen in or let me see this candidate. And if he's good, like patching through and I'll jump in. And I remember we were talking or we were going through just a traditional screen. I was getting to know Mr. Money Green. And my leader just says like, hey, dude, I need to talk to him. I need to talk to him. Cut me in. And I put him in and they go off on this next 30 minute hour long conversation. And I was like, well, what did you see? What was it like, dude, when you sniff it or when you see it, you have to pounce. And I recognized talent in that kid. I recognized somebody who's going to go out and hunt and look for the chase or look for the clothes. That's a natural salesperson, a talent. And this was a clear testament of Jaime's gut or instinct. And so far as that candidate we hired, he was the one of two and the first kids that we hired after, after myself. And he was a top performer. He killed it. And he climbed the ranks. I'm pretty sure he's still there climbing the ranks because of Jaime's gut. So trust your gut, you know, trust your gut, trust your instinct. You have it for a reason. And in due time, as you practice it and work on it, 
interesting and promising things may come from it. So wild. So now we're at this point, right, where I have put in a lot of reps and monotonous tasks. I'm I'm conducting discovery calls. I'm not closing. I'm I'm teeing up opportunities and getting a sense of like what are legit opportunities out there. I'm talking to a bunch of people, by the way. Keep in mind, I'm trying to sell health technology software. I'm trying to sell software that's for if you have like depression or ADHD or any sort of psychological challenge, uh, you can run through our software. Would you believe I'm out here talking to chiropractors? I'm talking to people that sell <laughs> trampolines was one thing. I'm talking to literally anybody that clicked that link that said, hey, yeah, I'd like to know and learn more. I'm talking to them and I'm trying to sell them with my whole heart. <laughs> Why? I don't know. We had a system in place and we found that as we put people through the system, we'll find golden nuggets. And even the people that don't seem glaringly obvious, some of them will convert and some of them will become customers if we put in equal and equal reps. And... Uh, <laughs> This is where I'll say the the real get comfortable being uncomfortable. Get comfortable being uncomfortable really starts to shine. Where people are now uh, coming aboard, where the team is growing. I am responsible for revenue, so I'm responsible to carry in X amount of dollars a month. And do I have that experience? Yes, but at, at Xerox in my previous role, so long as I like got the deal almost there, my manager would always always come in and close it for me. I never had the experience nor uh, wherewithal of knowing like where, why, and how people come to decisions and how we as salespeople can influence that. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. And for the first year of me working there, as an example, I had a revenue quota and I was getting comped. Of course, I would get paid out on deals that I closed. And I learned something, a, a, a tremendous leadership lesson from my old boss, where he was in my ear during a lot of these initial conversations. Like he would literally be in my ear through another dial-in or um, another call or some app, and he'd be tuning into the call. And it was distracting at the time. I didn't really understand. And I think there might even be a better way to maybe work with somebody that you're coaching. Shout outs to you, Jaime. <laughs> but he was in my ear and he would all like I was a, 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 a puppet because he could move the strings and be like, hey, dude, you want to say this? And OK, collect this, respond back. And just like I would be moving and operating, but not knowing why or how it worked. And when it came to it, if, if need be, he would more often than not end up coming in and closing deals like my previous role. But as he was in my ear more often, as he coached me and helped me find the finish line on my own, I, of course, started to find and build my own confidence. But I, I share this because I can't tell you how nervous I was when after you do the initial discovery call as an example, give somebody access to uh, a product for a while. You say, let's chat again in a week and decide like if, if and how you want to move forward. And in these follow-up calls, I mean, there's small sales. It's not a big decision to be made. We'll call it $1,000 that a business is, is making a decision on. And candidly, the, the, the product offers way more value than that. But I don't know. I'm coming from a world where like selling a $5,000, $7,000 photocopier, if I got crazy big, I did once, I'd maybe get like a thirty dollars or $60,000 job. So although it didn't see, it wasn't a lot of money, it was still like, 
it was just nerve wracking for me. Okay. It was very nerve wracking to have the, the potential outcome of this conversation be on my shoulders and how I navigate and guide this conversation. And end of the month, as an example, where for, for the first six months, 80% of our revenue would be coming in in the last few days of the month. Like it would be a buildup of the pipeline in the last few days we're closing it. I can't tell you how uncomfortable I was. I was anxious. Oh boy, did I start smoking a lot of weed. <laughs> I needed something as a release valve to be able to, to survive. I didn't hold, I didn't hold my stress and anxiety very well. So much so in fact that I remember I mean, probably a year and a bit into me being an AE now, the CEO actually pulled me aside <laughs> near the end of the month. It's like, Nick, do you want to go for a beer? Like, I don't want to, like, here's, here's, here's a company card. Just go out and like get a couple of beers, man. Blow off some steam. Forget about it. Don't worry about it. And I was like, sure. Like what's going on? It's like, no, nah, man, you need it. Spoke to me next day. He's like, dude, you just, you were stressing me out just how you looked. Like I was not composed in any way. I, I felt out of control. It's very uncomfortable. But through that coaching that my old mentor gave me, he showed me a few tricks and highlighted a few ways that people think or highlighted a few ways that you can influence the way somebody thinks or perceives something that you say that you can get them in in what he called the tornado where we're in a conversation you're you're not 100% sold on the opportunity or the product but there's a couple things you like and there's a couple things you dislike well you can guide and frame and control the conversation to let's speak about the things that you do like and let's sell them and let's get somebody to sell themselves on on that and I'll never forget I know the company who I sold to I in fact I remember the name of the person who I sold to so much so that that guy actually still calls me to this day four years later. And I talk to him now. I'm like, dude, I don't work for the company anymore. This is who you need to speak to. But I got my first person into a tornado where I got them speaking. I started to understand maybe a little bit more of the nuances of the conversation. I, I really tried to empathize and understand where they were coming from. And I led them to where I think they were going. And by the end of it all, I thought maybe I'd get a thousand bucks out of this customer. It ended up being one of the largest or larger deals, if you will, of the month, premier deal. And I just, I remember hanging up the call, getting the deal done, doing it solo now, as as this one was fully on me. And I remember looking at my boss like, dude, I fucking did it, baby. Let's go. And it was just such a... It was, it was a very rewarding feeling because uh, I was really uncomfortable. And in fact, I'm pretty sure for the next 10, 15, 20, 30 reps after that, me doing those calls solo, I was still super uncomfortable. Fortunately, another good lesson in, 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 we'll call it leadership, I had a release valve. My mentor, if need be, as I was putting in reps, there was a system in place, a system in place where if I was ever struggling or if I ever thought something wasn't going the right direction we had almost like a safe word to be able to tap back in and get my old mentor and to to revisit and save a conversation and that was part of the system and that system was driven by a person that was in the system myself and my, my mentor that helped deals close so <laughs> it was wild 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 um another another piece that I, i'd be amiss if i didn't reflect on cold calling Picking up the damn phone and cold calling somebody out of the blue. 
to this day, my experience, to this date in the story, my experience with cold calling had been, I would go around Toronto in my territory and I would door knock and I'd look for business cards and I'd try and talk to the right office manager or operations person or somebody that might be in charge of the printer. I'd get a bunch of a stack of uh, business cards by the end of each day. If you're successful, you you hit X amount of bills and collected enough business cards so that the following day you could go back and just start dialing through the phone and updating your Excel sheet and picking up the phone and dialing the number in those business cards and seeing if and how you could get to speak to the person you wanted to speak to and, and book a meeting. That shit used to scare the hell out of me. In fact, it still does. I wouldn't say scare me, but it, it still makes me uh, a little bit anxious. It always will, I think. But that's been my experience up until this point in, in cold calling. So now we have this thesis where up until now, everything is just coming through emails. And we say, dude, we notice in the data that a certain type of customer buys more often than these other customers. Well, why don't we double down in this little lane? and see if we can spend more attention reaching out to them to see if we get more of them and ideally get more revenue because we're focused. What's the plan? I don't know. Well, let's try cold calling. I guess Nick has some experience there. Historically and traditionally is something you do in sales. So why don't we do it? We're missing out. And I'll never forget the first day of cold calling. I'll never forget it because it was a fucking hit. It was such a good day. I was actually in a booth just like this when a small office worked in and I sat out in one of the booths. I put together my list and I had maybe, we'll call it 30 prospects, 30 people. And I went through the list. I put in my reps. And to me, this was fantastic. Now I was like, I'm so much more in my zone and element because I know cold calling. This is not something like Salesforce that I'm unfamiliar with. I don't have to go through the anxiety inducing experience of like going into a building, potentially getting kicked out of security again and i could just like scrape information off the website and what's the worst they're gonna do hang up on me i never speak to them so be it this is beautiful put on my headset this is how old we had a landline in the office and on that landline i started making dials and i i booked i want to say three or four that day and i just remember stepping out of the office and just giving the i'm sorry for your balls but <laughs> I just, it was, it was, exhilar- it was, it was, it was those, those few wins. I was like, dude, we found it. We stumbled on the gold and we thought we were going to take that little ship to the moon. And it's through that experience of being uncomfortable and locking myself in the room and putting in the reps and just maybe trusting a little bit of the people behind the system that we came to finding something that became a core part of the business to this day. Everybody that's there is making dollars and reaching out to people in the same way that we were however many years ago. And, 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 and I'll tell you that experience, cold calling as a whole now is just a skill inherent skill and tactic that deployed in many different organizations. And it's something that with reps, I've started to understand a little bit more where, why, and how certain things work versus not. I'll tell you candidly, those first cold calls, probably abysmal, not probably definitely abysmal. We didn't know what we we're doing. I, I think I barely had a script and just running through it. And it worked. It worked. So, yeah, man, trust your gut, trust your instinct. And that leads me to the the last piece of the story, if you will, where, oh, man, (laughs) 
I, 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 I am fortunate. I was fortunate enough as we're doing well. The company's growing. Uh, my old boss actually pause and shout out in that he protected me a lot. He protected me a lot to this point where I don't know. I'm a kid. Still am a kid. He's older than me. I don't have as much vested into the company nor know as much about the company as he did at the time, but he protected me from like some of the, the, the more grim realities of working at a startup. He's like, dude, now this is, this is current time. Like at some points, like certain months, like we weren't sure if we were going to make it for the next two months. Like the reason I had so much pressure or like you felt the pressure, I had so much pressure on me but I knew like we needed to execute. Otherwise, like this shit was done. And I didn't even know it at the time. So I, I, I comment on it, I shout it out because that valuable lesson I learned is protect your fucking people. There are certain things and certain bits of information that can motivate a team that can demotivate a team. And I didn't even realize at the time. So it's maybe a testament to, to his, his, his skill. But it helped me just continue operating and trusting and knowing what I did and the bigger decisions, things that I maybe didn't need to know about or might influence or affect me a little bit more, found out after the fact. So I preface that and I start with that. And then again, you can imagine this the same way he saved me on some of the calls. But I preface and start this piece of the story with that as I then was put into a position of leadership, my first leadership opportunity where now I'm managing new sales reps. I'm a first time leader. Barely know what the hell I'm doing in sales. I got puppeteered up until this point, you could say. And happenstance, I came into this opportunity, right? I've been there the longest. And we hired a bunch of people at a given time, basically. And my boss was just like, dude, I'm fucking swamped. I can't manage all these new guys and this and this and this. Similar to like when I first joined, it's like, I'm KO'd. I'm disheveled. What am I, what are we going to do? And we're looking to hire a manager and all the candidates and all the people outside and external because it was such a special and niche industry weren't panning out. Uh, and we're working late one night and I didn't know if he floated to me or I floated to him. I'm like, Hey dude, but like what, what is this manager thing? We started talking about it. Like, dude, what the fuck? Nick, why don't you step in to be the manager? And as we say it, he starts, like, I guess it starts running, spinning wheels in his head. It's like, yeah, we got to fucking do This is the game plan. This is how we're going to do it. And I still have it to this day. It's actually underneath my mouse pad because it's an important document for, for me in my life. Chicken scratched out five pieces of what we think the core pillars are for this role. I don't have it with me. We're recording in a different booth than I usually am. But it was top of the funnel, business development into larger accounts, growing the team, certain KPIs and metrics. I can't remember. I'll, I'll catch you all up on the, the five metrics after the fact, but we broke it down. We started with a big goal, five items, and then we itemized what actually comprises that role and responsibility. And I was in that job for two years, that leadership role, a year and a half. And it was pretty fucking bang on in terms of like what ended up happening and how I was sold the opportunity. It's like, dude, you'll, you'll always make the most money as an individual contributor in sales. You're, you're managing the transaction. You'll always be able to get a piece of the pie. But I'll tell you, it's maybe less anxiety-inducing, Nick, if you're managing 10 levers that influence that influence revenue as opposed to you just turning one lever that influences your one revenue lever. And you can manage it a little bit better. And that, that analogy holds very true. So what, to this point now, I, I then step in and I take on this leadership opportunity. 
And I now have four people that report into me, five people that report into me. <laughs> I want to say this is what, January, February 2020, and y'all know what happens. But two weeks later, maybe three weeks later, boom, lockdown. Fortunately, I mean, very fortunately, I'm working at a telehealth company, COVID locks down, physicians need our essential worker. Oh, baby, I don't want to say I was ambulance chasing, but boy, we was out there. We had a lot of people waiting to talk to us, and it was promising for a business. Rightfully so, our service, our product was perfect for telehealth, was perfect for facilitating that essential service to continue. And I share that because now I'm managing and responsible for four people, but I I stumbled on, uh, I think, a a philosophy that I hold to the, the day I die is that there is no better way to learn than to teach because up until this point, I'm a puppet. I don't fully understand nor see why some of my actions and behaviors contribute to the outcomes that I'm getting. But when I'm tasked with, all right, you're going to take this fresh graduate who is uh, maybe they studied finance or philosophy or economics. I don't know why those are all numbers heavy because I had like geography students, arts majors, I had some science majors. You got to figure out how to cold call and get some time with a neurologist or a psychiatrist or the people that I aspired to be at one point. And in trying to think back and maybe put myself in the shoes of like, well, why, why did me doing certain things get this outcome? How can I relay that to another person? It helped me so much more in terms of understanding sales and the reps that I then put in are now reps on how can I empower somebody else? How can I help somebody else figure it out better, faster, stronger than I ever did? And that came in the form of call reviews, one-on-ones, mocks, just trying to figure out all the different ways that people learn and empower them to pick that up and then practice, put in those reps, a true coach in that regards. And we did well. I mean, I'd say that was a pivotal part of the business because then the same success that we we had in replicating what Jaime was doing early on and I came on, then we were able to replicate the success of like when we have dedicated managers and leaders, this is what the team could potentially look like. Uh, and now we could explore and look at other other things. So that's when I started to understand sales. And that's when I started to put reps in because of the situation that I was in. And the piece that, uh, why I shared it, we went to lockdown and we went fully virtual is because the system will work. The system will always work so long as the people in the system feel uh, fulfilled and happy and valued. And it's the smallest things. Now, I, I, I don't know why I did it. Candidly, it just felt like the right thing to do. Or maybe it was because I was also looking for some of that, but create a little bit of a cult. We had a squad, baby. We had a gang of, of, guys and gals that gave a shit about what we were doing. And it was, you could say gritty work. It wasn't sexy work. We're making cold calls and sending emails and doing an absurd amount of that every day for months on end. But we created a little bit of a cult. It was through things like we would play mini games at the end of the day. We would dial in and go for walks because I we recognize like, Hey, we're in front of our computer all the time. We need to like, break this up and go for a walk and just maybe shoot the shit with each other had a little snapchat groups like we we created we created genuine friendships to this day i would say i'm friends with any and all people i worked with primarily because i gave a shit about them and i really do 
and it was it, it was tough leaving. It was tough leaving, and that's maybe how we'll we'll wrap the stories in in a theme is. At the end of it all, there were some tough decisions to be made throughout this entire experience because I was put in a place of, of leadership. I was put in a place of having four people report to me, and that obviously grew. I was put in a place where I had to make the decision of, of terminating some folk, of, of fighting for some things on behalf of my team against the company or organization, for fighting my team on behalf of the organization because my team was asking for some ridiculous things. I was just in a place of, of management and I had to make tough decisions. And all of those were challenging. They were another testament of, of getting comfortable being uncomfortable because they all helped me grow and they all helped me learn a lot. And one of the hardest decisions I had to make after seeing the company kind of flourish through COVID and the team continued to grow and it started to be something where like, holy shit, this is no startup anymore. Like we're a real fully fledged business. That Rubik's cube is solved, boy. We done put in the reps and now we're on our way up. You know, we got through the headache and there's no more angst of like, shit, we only got two months of runway. What are we going to do? The toughest decision I had was leaving. Fucking cheesy, boy. <laughs> but it's... It, it really was. It was a tough decision. Why? Because, I don't know, I, I, I really gave a shit. And I still do to this day for what we went through and what we've done and, and all of what was still to be done. And that tough decision, uh, it came from a place of me wanting more, uh, me feeling unfulfilled in certain ways, me looking and seeing other opportunities and trying to see like, hey, where, can, where and how can I add value? Even my imposter syndrome coming about. And the tough decision of leaving was, was rough. I mean, I gave a shit. I think we left a 40-page exit document because I was like, hey, I, I hope some of this comes to fruition. Here are some of my thoughts. Bob's, Bob's your uncle. I keep in touch with almost everybody at the organization still. I'm still, I would like to think, somewhat a part of the culture. I know I'm not in the immediate, but that was a tough decision to make. It made me extremely uncomfortable because now I was going into another startup, actually, where I didn't have that release valve of my mentor in case shit hit the fan. Like shit hit the fan, it was on me, you know? Um, I stepped into a, a bigger leadership opportunity. I left the comfort of like, I know what my days look like because I know my team and my people and I know what it takes for them to get success. I kind of knew and saw history and the path to get there. I was stepping into a lot of uncertainty. And I share that. Because that tough decision, that probably the most uncomfortable I, I was in this time, was was probably the most important decision in that I have grown tenfold than, well, I don't know. I don't know what it would have looked like if I was there, but I grew tenfold more than what I would have expected because I learned in leaving that I had learned a shit ton over the, the three years. I've been exposed to so many different business decisions and outcomes, processes and systems and people that when I went to different organizations that hadn't gone through some of those trials and tribulations, I had experience to lean on and I had insight to lean on. And where did that come from? Reps, boy. We put in reps so that I understood the, the, the people that were behind these systems and I knew what it took to be uncomfortable to ideally get to a place of comfort. And it's been a journey. It's been uh, almost two years now, maybe a year and a half, yeah, not two years, a year and a half or so since I've left. 
And uh, it was really cool. I, I caught up with my old mentor and boss a couple weeks ago, seeing uh, how the company has continued to evolve and grow. And I have been fortunate enough to obviously still witness that, still be in touch with a lot of people that are there, even move past. And now I'm actually stepping into an opportunity. I've been in it for a few months now where it's as if I were my old mentor in his shoes. So it's this full coming coming home or full circle, if you will, where started from the bottom. We still here, baby. We're still putting in those reps. Not much has changed, but these these are experiences, these are stories, these are things that mean a lot to me. I'll, I'll cherish to the day that I die. I share this with you all because it's been the last 40 minutes just reflecting and spitballing and exploring some of what means a lot to me, what makes me who I am. And I think it's an important activity. If nothing more, this is a little cathartic and therapeutic for me. So thank you all for, for tuning in, you know. But in all seriousness, that experience I say we're still here. Why? Because, well, reps haven't gone away. I still got to put in reps to this day, no matter where I am, to be able to figure out and understand how something works and what we can automate, why people make decisions out in a different environment. Yada, yada, yada. You still have to put in your reps. You cannot avoid the work. That is the work. I'm working with different people. I've been exposed to many different systems, I've been exposed to many different organizations now, businesses. And there's still one core truth, which is at the end of the day, it is still the people behind it that are making all of this work. People are your most important asset, value and cherish them, and you will be paid in kind with all of the rewards. Sometimes that comes in the form of really efficient systems and machines and things that can operate with or without you. Beautiful testament to a leader. Uh, sometimes you also just build people and you find people and you create people and you build a network and a system of people that just make you a superpower human. And last, but but certainly not least, the most important lesson I would say, get comfortable being uncomfortable. I've spoken about this. I believed in the concept for, for quite some time now, I'd say since being in sales, but the, the tagline actually comes from a gentleman I follow. I stumbled across his profile on Instagram and his feed is fucking wild. Uh, Ned's Ned's record run, get comfortable being uncomfortable. This is a man who chose to run across Australia, which if you know, that's a big motherfucking continent. And in 45 days, he did it. He ran and got up every day and ran 100 kilometers every day. And his goal was to raise a million dollars for homelessness. I think he might be just hitting two because that's fucking wild. That's, that's a modern day Terry Fox and... His attitude, his mind, his mentality, if you were following or, or seeing that experience unfold, it's you can't think of something more uncomfortable. But he got up every day and he put in his reps. Sure, he had a bunch of people behind him that was a, a system and it clearly worked. Otherwise, he wouldn't have accomplished it. But at the end of the day, the core message that he had is get comfortable being uncomfortable. You will achieve and realize how much more you're capable of if you put yourself in an awkward situation. If you... I don't know, maybe test yourself, challenge yourself. It's a shame that more people don't do it and we are we become creatures of comfort, myself included. Here I am touting, I'm a fucking hypocrite. I snooze too, you know? I don't get around to my meditations and my journaling and my reading all, all the time. But it's important. I try to check myself as often as possible because the more you're uncomfortable, the more you're growing, 
the more you realize, the more your potential, which I hope you kind of gathered is kind of the theme of this podcast. And if I haven't gotten that across, fuck, I failed. But you'll impress yourself. You know, maybe in three years time, you'll look back and be like, holy shit, look at all of what I've done. Uh, so, so thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate you. This one, this one means a lot to me because it's a, it's been a formative experience. It's been a slice. My parting words, if you will. So I wrote a piece when I was leaving. I'm proud of the piece. I think it's relatively well written, but I was trying to understand and even take out some themes when I was leaving of what did I learn? So uh, I'll share some, some party ones. So early on in my tenure, my uh, COO, a resident sage, gave me a little life lesson that I'll hold on to for decades to come. Taper your expectations, Nick. There is no promised land. Initially confused and not feeling the expected motivation I anticipated when I asked for advice, I patiently listened. Well, Nick, when you get to X, do not think you will finally feel Y. Whatever it is that you're searching for, focus on the present, what is right in front of you, and you just might find what it is you're actually searching for. And I couldn't believe him when he was saying this because this is a gentleman who had all of the accolades, all of the things that I was looking for in my life at one point. Impressive positions with more responsibility at big firms, uh, Ivy League education, rolled the dice and threw it all in a startup and was a COO here. But in, in reflecting and looking on this, I mean, I don't know if it's the whole being present thing at the end of the day, but here's what I'll share what I wrote. My natural predisposition towards incrementalism of showing up each day and striving for 1% gains was contrasted by one of appreciation, understanding, and confidence. You will not feel why when you get to X. In fact, I did not, nor do I ever think I ever will. And I strive to embody a mindset that might focus on being better each day but with a larger emphasis placed on today, not tomorrow. As I departed the company, I was over the moon to see the wisdom come full circle. In our final conversation, we both acknowledged there were still fires to put out, systems not optimized, and problems yet to surface, but solutions will be found and implemented. They always are. After building a company and team around a shared vision, generating millions of dollars in recurring revenue from nothing, and impacting the lives of tens of thousands of patients off of an idea, we did not get to the promised land in fact, there is no promised land, but that doesn't matter. All that to say, thank you guys. I appreciate you. We'll see you next time. Peace.